Good morning. It is wonderful, as always, to be with you. If you would, take a copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is where you will find uh, our text for today. And we have been uh, going through the book of Mark verse by verse, line by line, and um, we've come to a, a very critical part in the book over the last few weeks, kind of the, the, the high point of the book is the, the beginning of Mark is kind of the, uh, it, it has a swell um, as Jesus begins his ministry, as he calls his uh, disciples, as he goes about teaching about the kingdom of God and, and preaching and doing miraculous signs to confirm the, the message that he's giving. And then we, we find as we come into to Mark chapter 8 that he um, begins to focus more on the disciples. He begins to teach hard things, and the crowds kind of don't buy into it as much as they were. And then as it goes on and on, what, uh, what, what ends up happening is he's transitioning his ministry from the crowds to the disciples. And we hit in Mark chapter 8, the, the high point, kind of the, the, the climax here where Peter... Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And upon that confirmation, upon that what we call the great confession, Jesus then begins to teach his disciples what that means. And last week we looked at um, a very doctrinal message where Jesus immediately after he... Um, after after Peter says this, and Matthew's account gives a little fuller picture, and it Jesus says, you know, the Spirit has revealed this to you. Blessed are you, um, Peter, son Peter Peter Barjona, son of Jonah, son of John. The Spirit has revealed this to you, not flesh and blood, and and so that's kind of a high point. You think, oh, awesome, and then immediately Jesus begins to teach what this means. And we looked at this last week that he must must be rejected, must suffer, must be killed, and must rise again. To the response that that Peter pulls Jesus aside and and rebukes him, and he says, this is a little too much, Jesus. And Jesus then turns and he rebukes Peter in front of all the other disciples and says, your mind is not Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so last week, we really focused on what does it mean that Jesus must suffer, must be rejected, must be killed, and must rise again. And how is it that this is the mind of God? And we thought about the plan and the purpose of salvation that has been brought by God himself through Jesus Christ, his son. Having established that, having established that Jesus is the Christ, having established that these things will happen to him, Jesus then turns to his disciples and others that have gathered around and he lays out what I'm going to call the terms and conditions of discipleship. Now, last week I told you, my illustration last week as I opened was I got a new phone because I washed my other one. This thing is an endless source of sermon illustrations I've learned. Um... All week, I have been reprogramming my phone, getting into all of the apps that I had before. And every time you download a new app and you go to sign in, it pops up the terms and conditions, right? 
Uh, I laughed last night as I was reviewing my sermon before I went to bed, as I usually do. I got on my iPad, and, and it needed updated, and so I updated it. And the first thing that pops up is, do you accept these new terms and conditions that come with this update? And so, you know, I, I clicked on the thing, and, and just for fun, I actually clicked on the link to the terms and conditions, and there was probably 35 pages of information there. And I started to read it, and I realized, you know what, I always said yes before, I might as well say yes again. So we don't know what we agree to, we just say yes, and, and, and we move on, don't we? Jesus gives to his disciples, and for us today still, some terms and conditions of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be his follower, what it means to come into salvation, what it means that you would follow him and make him your Lord. There are terms and conditions that he outlines, and unlike Apple or Facebook or any other app that might update itself twice, three times a year or annually, the terms and conditions that Jesus has outlined for what it means to be a disciple have never changed and never will change. The terms and conditions that Jesus outlines, they're tough. They're tough. We're going to look at it today. So we're used to this, these terms and conditions. Any organization, any club, anything that we would serve or would serve us, it requires us to, it requires us to understand, at least to confirm and say, we will do these things. We will follow these terms and conditions. And like I said, last night I, I, I accepted my terms and conditions and I promptly received an email that said, well, thank you for accepting the terms and conditions. You can now utilize this service. We're used to this in our daily life, but have we ever thought that salvation itself might carry with it terms and conditions? That to truly be a disciple, to truly be saved, would cause something in us, would cause a change, would would cause something. Look with me at this text. We'll begin reading in verse 34 and read through the end of chapter 8. This is God's word. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospel, for the gospel will save it. For what Does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we come before you now as we have just heard your word. What a difficult task lies before me to try to give meaning and flesh out the importance of what lies before us. Father, it is not a task that I am fit for. It is not a task in my own ability, study, or power that I dare try to take on my own. I ask for your Spirit 
to give me strength, clarity, the correct passions. And Father, we ask for your spirit to dwell amongst all who hear this, that you might open their minds and their hearts to your word. Father, I pray today that you would call individuals to follow you. I pray that, Father, you would call us into faithful service. I pray, Father, that we would forsake the cultural religion of Christianity that we uh, so often entangle ourselves to, and we would pick up our cross and follow Jesus no matter what the cost might be. Lord, we need you today for your word to come alive. We need your spirit today for our hearts to change. I pray you would do so. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this text, I I want to show us again the the terms and conditions that Jesus himself outlines upon being uh, professed as the Christ, upon uh, him telling the disciples of what the gospel will be. Then he, he, he ups the ante, doesn't he? So the first thing I want us to see is the first, the condition, the price of discipleship. Discipleship isn't cheap. It's not cheap. Becoming a Christian is free in the sense that we cannot earn it, we cannot buy it, it's been done for us, but it's not cheap. It came by an exorbitant cost that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died for our sin. Not only that, but if something is of worth, then something is worth our effort, right? Nothing good in life is easy. Amen? Your marriage, if it's good, should not be easy. You should strive. You should have to work at it. There is going to be tensions. There is going to be difficulties. But because you understand the value of your spouse, because you understand the value of marriage, because you understand the value of all of that, you work for it and through it. Right? Being successful in your career should not come easy. If you know one of those, let me know, right? The dream is always, right? Like I work five minutes a day and I'm a millionaire. It doesn't happen. And what you tend to find out if you talk to anybody who you think had a really easy job, you find out that behind the scenes, they actually, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of preparation. There was a lot of risk, a lot of skill that was often involved. Nothing in life that is worth its weight comes easy. Salvation, though it comes to us free in the sense that we do not earn it, is not cheap. And as Jesus outlines, it's not easy. It's not easy. So the first thing that I want you to see is this cost. You know, Jesus was a PR disaster. Every time he would get a big crowd, every time it looked like more and more people were going to follow him, he made it harder to follow him. We saw this after he fed the 5,000 on uh, the shore of Galilee. 
The next day, John records that the people come back and they want more food and they're ready to follow him. And instead of giving them food, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who would eat for me will never go hungry. They didn't want to hear about that. And it says that they all left him. He didn't give them what they wanted. Now they come and there's, there's a little bit of a crowd. I, I've told you as we progress through the book of Mark, the crowds dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until there's a crowd crying out that says crucify. But there is somewhat of a, a crowd here as Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's been dealing kind of one-on-one with them. And now he turns to those that might be around along with his disciple as he explains what the, the condition, what the price is of discipleship. And he gives the worst invitation you could ever give. Right? So we've all heard in churches invitations and I don't, I don't have a problem with an invitation, I talked about this Sunday night, in fact. It was kind of funny as I was studying for it. But we have all seen churches and ministries and organizations that offer invitations that basically don't really share the gospel. Raise your hand and pray this prayer. Walk this aisle, shake the preacher's hand. And what you'll find is there's a lot of individuals within our southern-ish culture that have done just that and they have taken a placebo against their sin. They have, have taken some kind of a, a, a soothing act that they have done, that they've been instructed by a, a religious leader that if you do this thing, shake this hand, walk this aisle, pray this prayer, then your conscience should be eased. But as you begin to talk with them and you begin to look at the evidence of their life, you see there's no fruit of salvation, no desire to follow Jesus, no love for God. Something's wrong there. Jesus didn't try to make it as easy as he could for everybody to come. Jesus called out those whom God was changing and regenerating and saying, follow me. And he said, there's terms and conditions. If you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross. If you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourself. If you're going to follow me, you're going to do these things. The idea of cheap grace, the idea of easy believism, it just doesn't line up with the words of Jesus, does it? Many things today that are said from pulpits, said across the airways, they don't line up with the teachings and the words of Jesus Christ himself when it comes to this. Yes, salvation is free. Yes, salvation is not of our effort. But if salvation is real, there will be an effort that we make in it. Does that make sense? Because it's worth it. Because we have been changed by God. There's four things. There's four costs that I want to summarize from what Jesus says here that is the price of discipleship. Four things that that we would relinquish. Four things that we would willingly give up. Because we see salvation and the following of Christ is superior to these things that we would hold on to. I, I want to share those four things with you as we look at this first part here and think about the cost of discipleship, the price of discipleship. First, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, the first thing that we see is we have to give up our self-righteousness. 
We have to give up uh, our self-righteousness. We must come to Jesus. We must come to a place in our life when we realize I cannot come to God on my own, where I realize I am not inherently good enough on my own. I have to come to Jesus. I need Jesus. I need what He provides. I, I need what He offers. I need what He has done. Oh, there's many people that struggle with this. You begin to ask them, about what they feel about their sin. And they say, well, you know, if I just do a good enough good to outweigh the bad, then when I get to the gate, St. Peter will let me in. Friends, I would say that's probably the popular belief of America when it comes to salvation. If I give enough money, if I do enough good, if the scales tipped in my favor then I'll get through those pearly gates. No. We must come to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As Jesus called out to his disciples, follow me, so he calls out to this crowd, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would come that's the, the, the first thing that we must give up. We must give up our own thoughts and our own desires for self-righteousness. Again, put it in the context of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking to individuals that live within a religious context. They live within the day of an apostate Judaism that ruled every part of their life with laws and man-made traditions. The very leaders of this religion had already come. They had sent their, they had sent their professors and experts to examine Jesus and their official decree that they said that we read in the book of Mark is that Jesus is a demon. That's what they've said. He heals people because he's a demon. So the religious leaders have written Jesus off. They said he is a demon. He is not of God. And Jesus calls to them and says, you must come after me. To do so means to make a break from that self-righteous life that they live, that self-righteous religious institution in which they were in. To, to walk away from society, to, to literally follow the one that their leaders and their teachers and the religious leaders said is not true, but to follow Jesus. In America today, it's not as hard as many places in the world. Many places in the world where spiritual darkness is and religious darkness and idolatry and false gods and religions are. It's a cost just to follow Jesus. Just to come to Him is a, is a break. And it should be for us as well. It is a break from ourselves. It's a break from our sinfulness. It is within it repentance. It is a letting go of our self-righteousness. To be born again, to be saved, to be regenerated. This is far more than a magic incantation. This is far more than just saying the right thing. This is far more than just doing a simple act. This is, as Jesus revealed in Matthew upon Peter saying, you are the Christ. The work of God Himself in our life changing our hearts, awakening us to our sinfulness. If we want to come after Him. It's a denial of our self-righteousness. 
It is a, a trust in Him. True salvation is to look to Christ and to say, I can't do this. I need you. I will follow you. We must come after Him. The second thing that we give up, we give up a, a, a self-denial. There's a there's a, a, a an enjoyment of ourselves that that we have to give up our own uh, desires. Jesus says, "Come after me, deny yourself, deny yourself." This this phrase literally means to completely disown or to separate yourself. This kind of self-denial that Jesus is calling for is not what many have practiced. Jesus isn't talking about, um, he isn't talking about giving up uh, something. Like I, I always laugh at, at people who, who practice Lent and some of the things that they give up. I'm giving up chocolate, <laughs> right? Or, or uh, somebody that I knew gave up something that they didn't like anyways, <laughs> Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about asceticism where you would painfully do something to yourself to try to earn heaven. The self-denial that Jesus is talking about is not so much what we think of as self-denial as far as our esteem or our pleasure necessarily, but more of a denying of self. A denying of self, a denying of your sinfulness. It's to say, I'm going to stop listening to my voice. I'm going to stop leaning on my power. I'm going to stop trying to fulfill all of my wishes, my me, 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 me. And I'm going to follow Christ obediently. That's what Jesus is calling us to, saying, not my will, but thine. That's what salvation is. Friends, if you have experienced this, you have experienced and committed yourself to, to passionately following Jesus Christ. I, I've told you this is something that's been ringing in my mind over and over and over again for about a year. But that is the most popular way that people refer to themselves in the Bible, in the New Testament, who are Christians. The most popular title that they give to themselves is, I am a slave for Jesus. And in that day, in that age, in that culture, in that time, they understood what slavery was. It's different than the picture we think of American antebellum slavery. But often individuals would be at the debt of another and they would have to serve that individual. Sometimes they would, they would place themselves under a, a patron, under an individual so that they could provide for their, their family or, or they could do, they could just live life. The taxes and the penalties were so burdensome that they would have to do this. And they would have to take the allegiance and they would have to be under that individual. And that's why it's so fitting that the Christians in the New Testament, when they refer to themselves and they think about their standard in life, they think of their place, they say, I am a slave to Christ. That's what it means to deny self. It means I will follow you. I no longer live for me, but for you. Jesus says this is the terms and conditions of discipleship. Jesus isn't something you just add to your life. Many of you have heard um, the gospel presentation uh, that says, it starts and it says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I understand what they're saying. 
But you got to understand also that that's like, oh, good, I, I love me and have a wonderful plan for my life too. And Jesus becomes something you just add to. Or the false gospel that is becoming so prevalent in our day today is that, that Jesus just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. This prosperity, false gospel that would tell people to come to Jesus so Jesus can give you all the things you already want. That's not the gospel. That's not the terms and conditions that Jesus outlines. Will Jesus bless you? Yes. Will Jesus ultimately prosper you in the kingdom of heaven? Yes. Maybe not on earth. In fact, what Jesus' words are, you might actually come to Jesus and instead of your standard being raised, you might be killed. That's the true gospel, that it's not cheap. God doesn't live so that He can glorify all of our pleasures. God exists and we have been created that we might glorify Him. We must deny self. The third thing that we see that we have to give up is our idea of self-preservation. The idea of self-preservation. A disciple must persevere in persecution. A disciple must persevere in persecution. Jesus says to these around him, you deny yourself and you take up your cross. Now, something's very interesting here. This is the first time that Jesus speaks of the cross. And the first cross that he speaks of isn't his cross. It's the disciples' cross. And culturally, we have to think back for what this meant to them because the idea of a cross didn't mean you wore it around your neck or you put it up in a church building. The idea of the cross was a humiliating death and punishment. The idea of taking up your cross meant to the fact that the way that the Romans practiced crucifixion, practiced the death penalty, was very public. It was a horrific death. And not only was the death itself horrific, but the whole pageantry that they had put in place to show this, it all was to show the masses, do not do the crimes that these people do. And so the individual, upon being convicted was usually scourged, beaten, and then a beam of wood was placed upon his back as he marched to the place where that beam of wood would hang him. It was a very public and shameful thing. We know this from Jesus as he went to carry his cross But what Jesus is saying to these individuals, we, <laughs> this is another one that we've just turned around. Like I, I even heard this the other day. I was in a store and just kind of eavesdropping. I wasn't eavesdropping, but they were loud. Um, and, uh, and a lady's talking about her mother-in-law and says, well, she's just my, she's my cross to bear. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about. I just, Almost wanted to ask that lady if her mother-in-law thought that she was her cross to bear as well. (laughs) What Jesus is talking about is that if you're going to be my disciple, there is going to be a cost. And the cost is your self-preservation. 
Because your concept and your idea of self-preservation would be that the gospel is not more important than your own life. That salvation would not be more important than your own life. Are you with me? About 10, 15 years ago, there was a, there was a, a radio program playing and I was listening to it. It was a Christian talk radio station. It was when I lived in Michigan. And at the time, there had been a reporter who was captured in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or, or I, I'm not sure exactly what the details were, but this reporter was captured and he was a Christian and he was put beyond the television and, and they said, convert to Islam. And so he did the saying uh, to convert to Islam. And so the, 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 the conversation on the talk radio the whole time, and I listened for like an hour with my blood pressure just rising constantly because person after person, Christian after Christian called in and said, well, it was okay because he saved his life and now he's home with his family. So it was okay to reject Jesus. It was okay to do that. And all that played through my mind was... All the testimonies throughout church history of individuals who would stand and say, I will not bow before Caesar. I will not call him Lord. I will not bow before this king. I will not bow before this God. I will not forsake the gospel which has saved me, which is more important than my own self-preservation. What a godless and adulterous generation we live in. And what a weak gospel we have been proclaimed and believe in. If at the first sight of discomfort, we forsake the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's not what discipleship is. Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, be willing to take up your cross. Be willing, in light of self-preservation, that the gospel means more. The last thing that Jesus says that we need to give up is the concept and the idea of self-determination. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. A, a, A discipleship, coming to Christ, coming in salvation is based on the fact that we understand our sinfulness. We understand our need to repent, our need to turn. It is an under, it is a breaking from the old life to follow Jesus. And heaven help us today in churches throughout our land and, and throughout our world that have proclaimed a weakened gospel that says just come to Jesus and no matter what you do afterwards, it's okay. Does Jesus offer forgiveness for our sin? Yes. But help us if we have the mindset that I can live for Jesus and this world. Over and over and over and over again, the Bible says this isn't true. This isn't true. And so Jesus says our our self-determination, we must lay aside if we're going to follow him. A, A disciple walks in obedience and submission to Jesus. The phrase here in the Greek is literally ongoing, that we will not just follow once, but we will continue to follow, not just on Sunday, but for our life. That's what the Lord says. That's the price. It's a high price, isn't it? Heaven help us for for weak gospel presentations 
for easy believism, for watering down and dumbing down the good news of eternal life. Jesus says, if you are going to follow, you must come to him. You must deny yourself. You must persevere in persecution. You must follow. You must follow. Nothing worth having comes easy. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus hasn't said this. But the nature of which Jesus talks about what salvation is, is something that is a high cost and high value. It is something that we would give our life to follow and take hold of. Jesus gives a purpose statement in his terms and conditions. So he kind of summarizes this and he gives three, uh, three ways to summarize what he has just said about these four points. And the summary, I, I, I kind of condensed it like this. The way to save your life is to lose your life. It's a paradox. The way to save your life is to actually lose your life. And this is what Jesus says in, in these three verses. In these three verses, he raises attention to something that we don't often think about, and that is the spiritual side of our life. The eternal spiritual nature of our life. We live for the physical. We are concerned about the physical. Every day, we're, we're worried about what we're going to eat. Are we going to sleep? How does our body feel? How is our savings accounts? How are we paying bills? How are we doing this? How am I getting this kind of pleasure? What am I doing this afternoon? We give very little consideration for that which is eternal, which is our soul. And Jesus brings this out in these three verses. Look first at verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus says this, Who would ever save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life <coughs> for my sake and the gospel will save it. Jesus says that if you believe in having your own way, living your life on your own terms, and being, on your, being your own Lord, if that's what's important to you, you will lose your life. If you live for today with no thought of tomorrow, tomorrow will be a rude awakening. You have a choice. You can live your life as you see fit. You can refuse to come to Jesus for salvation. You can live on your own terms, call all your own shots, try to be your own boss. You know, Jesus allows us to do that in this life. But there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And for some, that confession will be a confession of joy. That in this life, they loved Jesus and they knew He was Lord and they lived a life of a disciple to glorify Him. And it's the day of their reward. But for most, that confession that Jesus is Lord is an acknowledgement of a truth of the knowledge that they tried to hide as they lived for themselves within this world. It is the truth not of a joy that they will enter, but of a torment that they understand they have earned.
Verse 36, Jesus asks a question as we think about the eternal nature of our soul. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? I love the hyperbole here, right? You know, just imagine you uh, become successful. And in your success, you, you buy out Bill Gates. You then buy out Elon Musk. And you take over Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And you own GE. And, and you own all the corporations of all the world. Everything is yours. You have all the money. You have all the power. You have all the influence. Everything is at your beck and call. And then you die. And you wake up to the reality that though you gave pursuit with all of your effort to gain everything and every standing that you could, Before the holy triune God, you are nothing. Your life was empty. Your pursuits were worthless. Your value is gone. For you have given up your eternal soul for a few years of pleasure and power. That's what Jesus is saying. And yet for us, we live as though today is all there is. What is before us is all that we have. And our our drive to make a, a profit and a place for ourselves can often be greater than what it would be to follow Christ. Jesus asks another question in 37. What can a man give in return for his soul? Here's the question. What is your soul worth? What is your eternal soul worth? That's what Jesus is asking. What can a man give in return for his soul? What is it worth? Friends, let me ask you this question. What would you forsake your soul for? Would you forsake your soul for uh, for pleasures of drunkenness and drugs? Would you uh, forsake your soul for sensual sexuality? Would you forsake your soul for living as you want to live on your own terms for not acknowledging the God creator of the universe? What is it that you would say is worth your soul? Because if you don't follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't agree to these terms and conditions... You are choosing those very things over your eternal soul. Oh, Jesus' invitation is hard, isn't it? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Let me just conclude here. We'll tie the next point in with the next message. Why does Jesus say it's this hard? Well, he illustrates what coming to salvation looks like in Matthew chapter 13. He tells two small parables. I love these. 
And when you put these in light of what Jesus has said here, and you think about the nature of what salvation truly is, true salvation, not appeasing your conscience, not just walking an aisle, not just praying a prayer, but true salvation, true calling, true repentance, true regeneration, true salvation. When you think about what that is, then these parables are delightful. The first one is this, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and then he covers up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Do you get the picture? He, he found something that nobody knew was there, that he didn't know was there. And it is worth something to him so much what he has found that he forsakes everything that he might have that. That's salvation. When we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us, the salvation that he offers, the forgiveness for our sins, the eternal life that he gives to us, then nothing in this world is worthy for us to hold on to that we would forsake that. Amen? Here's the second parable. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and he sold all that he had and bought it. You see the same illustration? The man finds the one thing, the one thing that is worthy and more valuable than anything else that he might possess on his own. Is that Jesus for you? Is it? You see, that's the heart of what Jesus is saying. The heart of what Jesus is saying, the heart of the terms and conditions that Jesus is outlaying. Is that salvation isn't something that you add to your life. But salvation is something that would change your life. That upon understanding that you are a sinner, that you have disobeyed God, that your sins have separated you from God, and, and that hell is the punishment for what you have done, upon that acknowledgement that you would realize that Jesus offers to you new life, salvation, and forgiveness. And you would give anything to have that. What Jesus asks is that you would give Him yourself. That's what it means to be a follower. That's what it means to be a disciple. Here's the terms and conditions. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the terms and conditions. Will you accept? Will you accept? Upon acceptance, your email will not come immediately. But at the end of this life, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, I want to close and offer you an opportunity. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you during this message. I hope that he has. 
If you are not a believer, I I hope that you would honestly be wrestling about what it means to follow Jesus. Are you ready to follow Him? He has saved you. He makes the opportunity there. Are you willing, in light of what you've heard today, to say, yes, I want to follow Christ. I see that salvation is worth anything, we're greatly worth anything else in my life. I, I would sell all that I own to gain the kingdom of heaven. If you're willing to do so, if the Lord has worked in your heart to do that, we want to rejoice with you. I want to be able to pray with you. I want you to express that to me. I invite you to come and ask for prayer. Perhaps there's something else. Perhaps for many of you, there is something in your life that you know that you continue to cling to that Christ is telling you, you need to give that up. If you're going to be faithful in my service, if you are going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, if you are going to to live according to the terms and conditions, that you'll forsake that. I would encourage you to pray and get that right with the Lord. To confess to Him your sin and to ask for forgiveness and to make a change in your life that you might glorify Him. I want to end with this. Jesus lays out some... It's a tough invitation. But Jesus also says, Come to Me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. If you're willing to come to Jesus and to live for Him, I promise you, He will do you no harm. He will comfort you. He will grow you. He will change your life if you're willing to follow.